Okay, um, <clears throat> kind of get back into uh, our review here. So, you know, Malachi's broke into seven questions. We get uh, a couple of them right out of the gate, and then we get a little space, and there's a couple of them here and there. But, you know, in Malachi uh, chapter 1, verse 2, the first question was, uh, in what way have you loved us? And again, these are questions that the people are asking God, and then God gives the answer. Now, I, I hope by now you're kind of seeing what's really going on here. You know, this is, you know, remember who we're dealing with? We're dealing with that remnant, that, that last small remnant of people that have finally came home after the captivity. The temple's been rebuilt, and everything should be going the way it should be going, but it's, it's obviously not. There's, there's some, some issues here. And so this is what God's dealing with. And this is the last word from God for the next 400 years. Okay, we don't, we don't get any more prophets. We don't get... Yeah, any more messages coming through? I mean, this this is it. We get this. Uh, this will kind of wind up in in chapter four with the messianic prophecy about the coming of Christ, and of course John the forerunner, and uh, and that's it. That's all we get until John the forerunner shows up, and so he'll be the the next prophet. And so you know, there's uh, there's a lot there's a lot hinging on this message because all the things that are wrong. You know, it's God's laying it on their shoulders here to get these things right. And, you know, we are in a situation where we, we know what happens, you know. So we're in the future, right? So we, we, know, we know what happens in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And, you know, to me, I like to go through Malachi and jump right into the gospel according to John and pick up there because Malachi ends with the... The, the prophecy of John the Baptist coming, the forerunner, and then John picks up, you know, with the forerunner, right? And so we go right from, you know, it's, you, you almost pretend 400 years didn't pass there, and boy, you, you find out they didn't really fix the problems, right? And so we kind of have that insight. We know, you know, God is really putting it on them here. There's plenty of warnings. He's given plenty of incentive. God is absolutely trying to make them see uh, the, the spiritual state that they're in, and of all the problems we deal with, it, you know, we, we mention this every week, it starts with this. They don't see that God loves them. And if you don't see that God loves you, then, then you're not going to love God because that's, you know, the Bible tells us we love because He first loved us. And if what we're doing for that constitutes your Christianity, right? What, what your church is doing that constitutes being a church, whatever that is, if it's not motivated out of a love for God, then it's, it's, it's the wrong motivation. And it, it's either going to be shallow and hollow or it's not going to last. I mean, the, 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 you know, so it doesn't end well there. And so this is, this is kind of the issue. So we'll keep coming back to that point. Uh, the second question was, in what way have we despised your name? And so God brings up the fact that they call him master and Lord, uh, but they do not show any respect or honor to him. And so there is a disconnect between what they're saying and what they're doing. And, you know, that's, we, we could, that's a topic that we couldn't exhaust for the church today. I mean, this idea that, that we, we have the same problem. We disconnect the things we say from what we're actually doing all the time. And, and so God is bringing that to their attention. And so, you know, and then they also, we, we saw that even the leadership despises the name of God. God is becoming a burden to them. And, uh, and again, that comes back to what's the source of their, where their heart's at and, and what, what they love. Uh, question three in verse seven was, in what way have we defiled you? God brings up that they've brought defiled 
they're offering up defiled food on the table. And the priest's response are, well, how have we done anything wrong? You know, and so what they're thinking is probably... If I'm the priest and Jake brings the blind goat up, well, it's not my fault that Jake brought the blind goat. And so Jake is the one that's bringing defiled food. But the priest's job are to inspect and decide, you know, and, and to offer what's acceptable. And so that, that stops with the leadership, you know. And so, you know, that, that's some big stuff we got into last week. But, you know, it really does, uh, you know, and I stress this all the time with the guys in our Bible college, you know, it's, it's like, you know, there's people in churches all over the place that really think they're going to straighten everything out, even though that the leadership's not doing the right thing. And, you know, you're really not doing yourself any favors. If you can't get the leadership right and focused on the things that are right and focused on spiritual things, then they will undo any good that you're doing. You know, it just, it just doesn't work, you know. And so uh, God is addressing the leadership here. And that's, that's such a big deal. But, you know, they, the, the idea is that if the leadership would hold the line and say, listen, I'm not going to accept the things that God said are unacceptable, then this would have stopped. It never would have went on, right? And so, you know, that, that compromise, it just keeps growing and growing. And so one of the things, one of the lessons that I'm wanting us to see is that sin and compromise for God's people, it, it, it begins with an attitude and then it manifests itself in an action, right? And so because the people despise the name of the Lord, now they're offering defiled food on the altar, right? Because they don't really love God, uh, God is, is getting their leftovers and, and they're compromising His standards. And so, you know, again, we, we've talked a lot about that every week. How important is our attitude? Um, man, the battle's in the mind, guys. It, it's taking place up here. And if you can't win that battle, then you're not going to win the physical ones, you know? And so, it, you know, the battle to be here tonight started up here, right? That, that was the hard part. Getting in your car and driving here was the easy part. You see, uh, Sunday morning, there'll, there'll be another battle. You're going to decide what's important and what's not. That takes place up here and here before you ever get out of bed and get going. And so, you know, attitude is, is it has to get, you know, we, the mind directs how we walk, okay? So if your mind's not right, then, then neither will your walk. Okay, um, let's, uh, let's jump on back in here. Malachi chapter 1, verse 8. So this is kind of where we left off last week. I was hoping to get to this, but we didn't quite have time. <clears throat> he says, When you present the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you present the lame and sick, is it not evil? Why not offer it to your governor? Would he be pleased with you? Or would he receive you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? But now will you not entreat God's favor that He may be gracious to us with such an offering on your part will He receive any of you kindly, says the Lord of hosts. Okay, and so, you know, God brings up, you know, a, a, a very relevant point. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a point probably every preacher has brought up at some point. But it's, it's the idea, you know, why, why, why not offer what you're offering to God to your governor? See if that would fly, right? And you can replace governor for, for just about, you know, try, you know, what, what, if, what, if you're, what if you treated your job the way you do your Christianity? I mean, how many people would still have a job, Right? Well, I didn't feel like coming in today. Okay? Well, you know, I had some other things going on, you know. Well, I, I, you know, I would get involved, but it's, you know, it's, someone else would do a better job. I mean, could you imagine doing that in the workplace? Hey, I need, I need you to do this. I don't know that I'm the best guy for that. I think I'm just going to sit this one out and go home. I did it last week, so I'm just going to say no. I'm not going to do it right now, you know. And so, like I said, try offering it to your governor. Try offering it to your boss, you know. That we, 
we understand these things in the physical, right? We, we get these things in the physical, but we, when we're talking about the church, it's like, it's, you know, things like commitment, consistency, devotion, faithfulness. It's like we have two different sets of definitions for those words, right? And, you know, today's, what, it's Valentine's Day, so uh, everyone chose a romantic evening at Liberty tonight, uh, and so I appreciate that. I'll, I'll be your host for the evening, and, uh, you know, uh, but let's talk, let's talk about marriage for a second, okay? You know, we talk about being faithful in the church, right? And we even refer to some people as the faithful few. Now, in the church meeting, you know, when we say people are faithful, what do we really mean? They show up, <laughs> you know. That, that I mean, that's really what we're what we're saying. You know, faithful. We've equated faithfulness with be, with being here. Okay. Now we do understand that being faithful goes beyond just showing up, right? That you can be here and still be unfaithful. You can you can be here and still miss the assembly. Did you know that? I mean, you know, what what are we supposed to do when we come into the assembly? Just just plop down and 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 make sure we're here to to love one another. You know, to to um, stimulate one another to, to, to love and to good deeds, to encourage one another, to be accountable for one another, to bear one another. You know, there's, there's a lot of things involved with that. And so if you come in and, and, and don't do any of those things, you made it here, you still kind of forsook the assembly though, right? Because the point of the assembly is much more than just being here. But, but anyway, let's, let's go back to this idea of being faithful. <clears throat> if you talk about a marriage and you bring up what it means to be faithful, like we all understand like if I tell you that I'm faithful to my wife most of the time, what do you all think of me? Not very much. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm a dog, right? I mean, this, is, this ain't no good. Okay? But when people act like that with the Lord, we're, we're real happy about it. Hey, they're faithful most of the time. That's pretty good odds. You know what I mean? And, and it's like, you know, when, when you got married... Okay, and, and you stood up front, you know, in front of, of God and everybody else, and there were vows exchanged. Like, you probably didn't sit here and say, okay, part of, part of the deal is I'm only going to be married to you one day a week. Right? The rest of the week, it's my time. Uh, I'm going to do what I want, but one day a week I'll be here. I'll be faithful to you. You'll be my wife. I'll be your husband. Does a marriage work that way? But we treat the church that way. We think, well, on Sunday, as long as I'm here, I'm faithful. The rest of the week, you know, God may be an afterthought at best. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not really implementing any of these things in my life. I have no relationship with these word. I'm not in prayer. I'm not trying to live the Christian life. I'm not a being evangelistic. I'm not trying to win souls. I'm, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm faithful. Now, you know, that doesn't work with the marriage. Now, how about this? Well, his heart was in the right place that we get by with that in the church. If I told my wife that I cheated on her, but my heart was in the right place, she'd slap me. Maybe worse. Yeah. And she should. She should. She absolutely should. You, no guy's going to get away with that. Well, I was with her, but I was thinking about you, so my heart was in the right place. Doesn't work, right? And so, you, you get what I'm saying? Look, we understand these words when it comes to our jobs. We know what it means to show up on time, to be there, to pull your own weight, right? To earn your wage, you know, those sorts of things. We understand what it means to be faithful in a marriage. We understand consistency. We understand devotion and commitment when it comes to the world. But when it comes to the church, our standards for those same things become way less. And so God says, try offering what you're offering me to anybody else they'd be offended. They would be insulted. But you act like I'm supposed to be happy with it. 
right? And that's what he's trying to get across when he says, you know, listen to this again. What are you presenting? The blind for this for the sacrifice? Is it not evil? And when you present the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Well, let's think about what they're really doing. Okay, if you're a farmer, okay, we talked about this in the tabernacle class. It's like, what are you, what are you, you're sacrificing? It's supposed to be the best, the best that you have, right? Unblemished, the, 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 the blue ribbon animal, okay? And as a farmer, you know, when you sacrifice that animal, it's, you're sacrificing way more than that animal because what else are you sacrificing? the offspring of that animal, you know, etc. And so, you know, and here, if, if I go through my flock and I, I've got one that's got a, a disease, it, you know, it's probably going to die tomorrow anyway. Well, man, I might as well get something out of it, right? I could take it to the temple and, and if hopefully it doesn't choke to death before I get it up on the altar, we can give it to God instead of one of these healthy ones, right? Okay, and if I treated you that way, how long would we be friends? You see what I mean? And so like I said, we've got these, these standards that we expect and uphold with one another, with, with earthly institutions, with even earthly you know, governments and earthly authorities that we'll respect and obey. And, and even if we don't understand the rules or don't like them, we'll still obey the rules because you know, we're going to be good citizens and all of that sort of a thing. But when it comes to God, Boy, we play, we play pretty loose with His commands and with, with, with being obedient, with being committed, with being faithful, with being consistent. Okay, those are things we need to think about here. And so we have it pretty backward, right? Could you imagine, like I said, if your commitment to your job resembled your commitment to God, most Christians probably wouldn't be employed anymore. If, if we obeyed the laws of our country with the same leniency that we obey God's commands, most of us would be in jail, okay? And so, like I said, we have it backward. We ought to offer to the one that, or we ought to commit ourselves to the one offering us eternity and salvation more than the one that's giving us a paycheck, Right? I mean, that, 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 should, be, that should be, you know... Uh, and so, here, here's the deal. A faithful, consistent, all-in servant of Jesus Christ. Understand, that's what you signed up for. That, and as, as, as leaders in the church, as, as, as brothers and sisters in Christ, that's what you signed up with, that's what your neighbor signed up with, that's what we need to hold one another to. You ever worked with somebody that, that didn't pull their own weight? What's that like? Oh, isn't it frustrating? It, it's a babysitting job. Yeah, you're constantly having to go. I, you know, I was at a church, uh, it's been several years ago, but I was just visiting. I popped in, was talking to the preacher. He had a, a meeting or something came up and he mentioned uh, that something needed done. Uh, and he said, well, so-and-so volunteered for that. You know what that means. Could you go ahead and just go ahead and take care of it? And I thought, man, that shouldn't, I mean, it shouldn't happen in the church, right? We should be people that let our yes be yes and our no be no. And you should be able to count on a Christian. You should be able uh, to, 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 you know, a Christian should be consistent and, and reliable. But, you know, if nothing else, that we should be honest, consistent, and reliable. And so, anyway, th these are things we need to get right. We signed up to be servants of Jesus, okay? Faithful, consistent, 100% all in. And, you know, if, if you just want to do nothing, I'm telling, don't apply. Because we've got enough of that, <laughs> okay? We really do. And, you know, I heard a preacher once, and I know Ed Bowles, you all remember Ed Bowsman. I mean, he used to go into a revival and tell everybody, hey, if you don't want to be here, go home. And then you'd watch the preacher shaking like, oh, don't do that, Ed. You know, we're going to lose everybody. But he had a point, though. Like, if you don't really want to be a part of this, you're not helping by, by being here. 
Okay, you know, I, 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 you, you ever, um, what do they call those? The, the dragon, the dragon boat races, is that what they call that? In the Olympics, for the, you, if no one knows, I could call it whatever I want and get away with it then. So, you know, in the, where they have the, the, the wooden little canoes and everybody's rowing in the big race in the Olympics, and I think those are called dragon boats. It's like a big canoe or kayak, but it's like a team and they're all, you know, they're all, yeah. And so, you know, like those guys, like, if, you know, when you get into, I don't know any firsthand experience with this, okay? You don't want me in your boat if you're doing that. But, uh, but the point is those guys are synchronized. Everybody has a part to play. And if you, you get to look at, like, they are so particular. Like, there's a dent, if part of the lacquer on the, you know, I mean, everything's got to be perfect. There can't be any kind of drag. Even a piece of seaweed or something like that can really slow things down. They polish those things down. Could you imagine just somebody in one of those boats just sitting the oar in the water and deciding they don't want to be a part of it anymore? But they showed up. Wouldn't it be better if they didn't? Right? And so in the church, you know, either we are helping push this along or we're kind of holding it back. But if you're not interested in helping and serving the Lord and growing and doing your part, I, you know, maybe you shouldn't be here. And I know that that's not the nice thing because Jake's sitting here thinking, Ethan, you probably need to just shut your mouth now, you know, but... but but, but seriously, you know, if we're not trying to help, then, then what are we doing here? What are we trying to get out of it? And, and you know, if, if you don't think that that's... I know it's an unpopular thing, but, but look what happens in, in verse... Uh, well, verse, verse 10. Well, we'll get to verse 10. Hold that thought. <laughs> All right, let's go to verse 9 here. He says, Now... Will you not entreat God's favor? Now, what does that mean to entreat God's favor? What are they doing? Yeah, they're praying to God to help them, right? They're asking, they're entreating. They want God's favor. They want God's blessing. They want God to help and be, a, you know, God be with me, be with my neighbors, be with, you know. They're, they're basically, they're praying for God's help, right? They're entreating God's favor. So now, will you not entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us? With such an offering on your part, will he receive any of you kindly, says the Lord of hosts. Do you think God's going to be happy? They are giving him exactly what he specifically told them he did not want. We talked about this last week, you know, the, we mentioned the donations that come in, you know, and sometimes you just got to throw that stuff away because it's not what you need, not what you asked for. Um, you know, and, and you know, let's, let's go back to that for a second. You know, <clears throat> I, you know, I told the story about going down into uh, um, Louisiana there, New Orleans area after Katrina hit. And, you know, we asked for uh, water, baby food, I think diapers. Yeah. And that's it. That's all we needed. We loaded down big bus full of that stuff. And, you know, people were donating um, clothes, jackets, winter stuff, you know, for New Orleans in the summer. Uh, there was <laughs> furniture, TVs, old computers. I mean, people were bringing everything. What, what, and again, we just had to throw it all away. You know, it was, it was mostly junk. And it was stuff that they would have, pro you know, why, why bring it? it well, who did it help? But it made that person feel better, didn't it? Look what I did. Look what I donated. Look how I helped out. You see, and that, that was kind of the point we were trying to get at last week. You know, when we do things like that, it's, we're not going to give God what He wants, but I'm still going to show up, and I'm still going to give something. I'm, you know, I'm, uh, that, that kind of attitude, it doesn't accomplish anything except it makes you feel better. 
right? You can sleep better at night because you can say, look what, it, look, look what I did. Look at the big heart that I have and look how I sacrificed and donated and went out of my way. But it, it, it doesn't help, right? It, it's not actually productive. It's not useful. It's not helpful. It doesn't help you spiritually. It doesn't help the Lord. It doesn't get the Lord's work done. You see, so when we do something instead of doing just what we're supposed to do, and, and that, that happens a lot. It's like, well, I'm, I'm not going to give God exactly what he asked for here. But it, it's not like I'm not going to do nothing, right? So we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna get close, okay? And, and there's a lot of churches that get close, okay? Well, the problem with close when it comes to God and salvation, it's still too far away. It's absolutely too far away. Right? And so here, you know, he says, okay, you're, you're going to come and you're going to ask for my favor. You're going to pray for my help. You want me to bless you. You want, you want me to be gracious to you. And then he's saying, with what you're giving to me, why, why in the world would God bless that? Okay, and so do you think God's going to reward your unfaithfulness? And that, that's what it comes down to. You know, this, this you, know, you see this with kids, okay? Um, you know, we, 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 we've got a lot of, you know, oh, Jake was over at Glencoe here recently there. We've, we've got some young kids and some young families. And so we, we spend a lot of time talking about, and I'm right there with them, man. I've got, you've seen my kids. I got a nine, 11 year old. I'm still, I'm figuring this out too. But you know, one of the things that you realize very quickly is that the things that you reward get repeated. And if you ignore it or, or let kids get away with it, that's the same as rewarding it right? And so they get away with it. And I can remember, this is one thing my wife and I kind of butted heads with, not for very long, but you know, she would do the counting. You all do the counting with kids? Thank you, Jake. Oh, the counting drives me nuts with kids, you know. And so she'd start the one, two, I don't know where she, I, I don't know where she was going to go to. Most parents, I think, count down. I think she started at one, just counting up. But <laughs> yeah, which isn't my problem with it, okay? But anyway, I had to explain to her, I'm like, all you're doing is teaching them to be disobedient, right? Because they're learning. They don't have to listen to you when you talk. They only have to listen when you start counting. And even when you count, they don't have to listen right away. I said, wouldn't it be better to just raise our kids to where when I say to do something, you do it the first time I say it, period, right? And so, you know, by, by letting them get away with it, you're rewarding it, right? And then they get away with it. Well, you know... God treats us the same way, right? If God, you know, if God rewards our unfaithfulness, what are we going to keep doing? I got away with it last time. <laughs> you know, I, God will get away. I guess I'll get away with it again, you know. And so God is not going to bless our, our unfaithfulness. He's not going to bless our, 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 our lack of commitment and consistency in our lives. And so, um, you know, they... they people, you ever met people that pray that know better I don't, I don't know any other way to word it than that. Um, you know, I think we've talked about this before. Some people will actually pray for their sin. Have you noticed that? Um, it's, it's that they're going to choose something over the Lord, but they want everyone to pray for it, that it works out really well for them. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and I, that's always baffled me. You know, we, we, you know I, I'm going to be, uh, you know, I, I used to have a guy that would come up to me in the church when I first got down to Glencoe and he said, just so you and I are on the same page, I want you to understand that between this month and this month, you know, we've got football and you won't see us. He said, my kid plays and he's good and he's going to be there every Sunday and he's got this going on. And so uh, just so you and I are on the same page here, we won't be here for the next three, four months or whatever. Uh, but we'll be here when we're not doing that, you know. 
And, uh, and, but he wants us to pray for the kids' games and make sure that, you know, oh, we got a big competition, pray it goes well. Uh, no, I'm going to pray that the kid's miserable playing football. I am. I hope that he's so miserable that he decides to quit and comes back to church instead. I will never pray that something works out well that's taking someone away from the church and taking someone away from the Lord. I don't want that to happen, right? I want them to be miserable and realize it's not worth what I'm sacrificing and come back. And so, but you know, that's what's going on here. They're, 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 there's a disconnect, again, between how they think this should work and, and how it's really working. And so here, here's something to think about. You know, as we pray, because, you know, we're praying people, as we pray uh, to a God that looks down on us from heaven, is it possible that God is looking down on us and it's not favorably? Okay, and I don't, I don't think that ever crosses a lot of people's minds. We just assume, well, God's looking down and God sees my life and God's involved. You know, it, it, is it possible that, that I can be a Christian and God could look down on me and still not be looking favorably at my life? You know, and, and I think we assume, well, as long as I'm praying, God, God loves me and is happy with me and everything's just working out fine. But, you know, you got to think maybe God's saying, okay, you, you want the best from me? And what are you doing? Going through the couch cushions to see if you've got a few extra quarters you can throw in the offering plate? You know, you're, you're looking through your schedule to see if you can find a little bit of time that you haven't allotted for something else and I can have that. Right? You've got talents that you're going to use for everything else out there but you won't lift a finger for the kingdom, for your brothers and sisters in Christ. And so it's possible that maybe God's not happy with us sometimes. You know, when... when, when <laughs> This has been a long time ago, but we had a VBS several years ago, and we had a bunch of, ki- bunch of kids uh, that were showing up in the middle of the week, uh, you know, that just lived in town, right? They'd just walk into the building. I mean, we, we, we could have anywhere from two kids to 30 kids, depending on the night, and you never knew what was going to come up. And we had a VBS coming up, and the kids were rowdy, right? Their parents didn't come to church. Um, you know, it was kind of one of those sort of things. They just, and they came in on their own. We couldn't necessarily force them to stay, so if they got bored, half of them would just walk out and leave, you know, and, and you just kind of had to put up with it and deal with it because... Again, there's no parents in the picture, and so we're just trying our best here. And we had a VBS meeting and was trying to get someone to volunteer. Now, granted, we had a handful of teachers in our congregation, and we were looking for volunteers to teach one of the classes. And uh, nobody wanted to do it. And I made it real easy. Like, they didn't even have to teach. They just kind of had to chaperone the class around. And we had, like, uh, you know... I was teaching and so they just bring the class to me and then I'd teach the next group and that, you know what I mean? It was kind of one of those things. So it made this real easy. And after about five minutes of, of begging someone to, to teach, I walked downstairs and I came back upstairs with all the kids and had them stand on the stage and told the congregation, you all need to explain to these kids why no one cares enough about them to teach their class next week. All of a sudden, I got a, I got a couple hands went up and said, I'll do it, I'll do it, you know. And uh, it, that, I mean, nothing, that burned me up. You know what I mean? That we've got all these adults and no one was willing. You know, I mean, there's no, there's no, there's no requirement here. You know what I mean? You, there's not, it's not about whether you're talented enough or whether you, you, you know, you didn't, all you had to do was be an adult and be there and, and help chaperone them around. And so, you know, I, I think about things like that sometimes. It's like we've got a congregation full of, of, of so much potential, right? People who are talented, teachers, you know, people who can work, people who can build, he, people who can fix things, pe- parents uh, who, who have their own kids there and know what it takes to raise kids, musicians and, uh, you know, plumbers and mechanics and all these sort of, of talented people and cooks and everything else. And it's like, 
why is it so hard to find people who want to do any of, of what they're already doing, but do it for the Lord? You know? And so, you know, the point is, it, 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 as a Christian, it's supposed to be all of me. Not just me on a Sunday morning, but all my resources, all my time, all my talents, right? All of my effort belongs to Him, right? And so there's no part of my life that I can say, well, I just don't really feel like it. I mean, that shouldn't ever come out of a Christian's mouth. And, and here's the other thing. You don't feel like it, so what? So what? Tell me, where in the Bible does that matter? God is worth our all. And he's worth our all and our best every time. And here's, and I really hope you hear this. That is so difficult if you don't understand who God is in your life. It's so difficult if you haven't really made Jesus the Lord of your life. If you don't recognize God as the one that loves you, if you don't want to honor Him, and if you don't want to respect Him, if you don't want to be useful in the things that matter, that is the hardest thing you'll ever do in this life. But, if you recognize His love, if you want to show Him honor and respect and love, right? if you are all in, it's the most natural thing in the world. Couldn't imagine a different way to live. It doesn't happen if he's only Lord by name only. One of the things that tends to happen here is we kind of get confused in how this works. You know, we want, we talk about a personal relationship with God. And this is what God's saying, okay, you, you want my help. But when I've asked this and this and this of you, this is what you've done. And so there's the way that we deal with our relationship with God, but then there's the way that God deals with it also. And we always try to remove ourselves from that equation, right? In other words, we want a personal Savior when it comes to God being involved in helping us in God's favor. But we don't want it personal when it comes to how God's going to respond with our lack of commitment and our unfaithfulness. In other words, when we want God's help, it's God, where are you? And how could you let that happen? And God, why aren't you involved? And we're praying for God to be a part of everything that's happening. And we want God to just write it in the sky exactly what we should do. But when we don't want to follow God, we hope God's as far away from that situation as possible. We don't want God intervening. We don't want God messing it up for us. We don't want God or any of His people reminding us what where we should be. You know, we totally disconnect ourselves when, we're, we're, uh, when it's the other way around. And so, you know, I think we, we've mentioned before, you know, everyone's always, well, what would a loving God do? What would a loving God do? And the question we should ask is, what would a loving people do? If I loved God, what would I do? You know, I, God has already established His love for me. If He does nothing else for me, nothing, what He's already done through His Son, Jesus Christ, and the church and the salvation He's offered to me, He owes me nothing. Right? And there is no, no you know... It, in the Old Testament, we got promises that were physical. Land, food, health. Those things were, were physical promises that were attached to the things that God was doing in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, there, we have no promise of anything physical here. I mean, we, we, we've got the, the, uh, kind of the vague idea there in Matthew 6. All these things will be supplied to you if you seek first the kingdom. But, you know, we, we've been promised every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That's in Ephesians chapter 1. 
Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places has been promised to the Christian. Now, what that isn't is that's not your bank account, that's not your health, that's not your physical health, that, that's not your job, that's not, you know, it's spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Anyone here want to trade the one for the physical? I sure don't. See, I'm quite content having all things pertaining to life and godliness, having every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, you know, and <clears throat> if God, again, does nothing else for me, He, he, does, you know, he, he doesn't owe me a, a single thing. And so, you know, we, we think of this, is it possible that when we pray to God for help, God's looking at us and saying, why, why, should, I, why should I do something more for you? Right? And that's what he's asking the people in Malachi's day. I know for me, I love my children, but I don't reward their unfaithfulness. I don't reward them for ignoring me. I don't, I don't reward them for doing the exact thing I told them not to do. Here's, here's the key though, guys. In Malachi chapter 1, we've already established the fact that God is very crystal clear about where the people are standing and where he's at, but the people in Malachi, they don't see it. Right, and that's that's the thing that like we can't we can't miss that in this. I know, you know Malachi's message seems harsh, right? And he he seems to be very uh, you know he's not pulling any punches, but but they don't see it. Remember the questions like, well, how have we defiled you? How have we despised your name? Right? They're calling him master. They're calling him lord. God's saying, but I don't see any respect. You know, don't don't make any mistakes here. This is not about this is not when he says you know when he says okay you know. Uh, you're, you're, you're asking me for favor. Well, with such an offering on your part, well, will I receive you kindly? This is not about the offering. Okay? And it's easy in the Old Testament, especially in the Old Testament, to, 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 to kind of focus down on the physical. Um, but this is not about the sacrifices. Okay? And it's, it's a matter of their heart. The problem is they think their heart's right. And so how do you convince somebody that they're not in the right when they think they are? I don't, I don't know what answer I'm looking for for that. But, but you know, what God's going to do here is, you know, God, God can't just tell them, you know, our relationship is severed and, you know, you, you don't honor me and you don't respect me because their response to that is, no, 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 we call you Master and Lord. Look, we're, we're bringing the sacrifices. We're bringing the offering. It'd be the same as, well, you know, Lord, you say we don't have a relationship. Matthew chapter 7, look what we've done in your name. Did we not prophesy in your name and not, and not cast out many demons? And, you know, it's the same idea. Look what we've done, right? How can you say that we don't have a relationship what God is doing is, is this is not about the offerings but the offerings is the tangible evidence that reveals the condition of their spiritual state and so that's what he's bringing up and and again you know we, we, we've we've hit over this it, we, we got to be careful in the church to not put the focus on the physical and so you know the, the problem with the physical is you can nail the physical and and miss the spiritual impact of it. And so, you know, I, I, you know, one of the things we do is we'll go through, in, in our Bible college classes sometimes, you know, I have, them, I have the students make a list of the things that we do on a Sunday morning, for example, right? And so, you know, what, what things are required for, to have an assembly, that sort of a thing. And then I have them tell me whether those things are physical or spiritual. And so let's just entertain me for a minute. You know, showing up, right? Are we supposed to show up? Is that physical or spiritual? Okay, raise your hand if you think it's physical. Raise your hand if you think it's spiritual. Okay. Raise your hand if you think it's both. Okay, yeah, it's both, right? Because here's the thing. You, you, you can't spiritually be here if you're not physically here. You see what I mean? 
Uh, I know we kind of say that, well, I'll be with you in spirit. It doesn't work that way. You're, you either show up or you don't show up. Now, just because you show up doesn't mean that you're getting the spiritual benefit for being here. That's the problem. Is, is sometimes we, we confuse showing up with being spiritually faithful. You see what I mean? And so that, that's the problem. There is a spiritual aspect of it. Now, you can't arrive at the spiritual aspect of it if the physical isn't there, but you can just get to the physical and never move beyond that to the spiritual. Okay? And so let's think about tithing. Is tithing physical or spiritual? Same idea, right? Now, can you tithe and not give anything? Okay? Yeah, I mean, you still got to give, right? I mean, you, you know, so that there's a physical part of that. But, you know, spiritually, there's some very important lessons there and, and things that benefit us when we do this. And, and, and God promises blessings. And so, you know, and, and Lord's Supper, that's a good one, right? Is it just about making sure the piece of cracker and the juice goes down the gullet? Is that all it is? No. So there is a spiritual... Now, can you spiritually take the Lord's Supper without physically taking it? No, you do need to take it, right? And baptism is another one. Can we bypass the water and still have baptism? So it's all about the water? Of course not, right? And so it's, uh, you got to have both. Now, do people get baptized physically, but uh, there's no faith there? Happens a lot. Yeah, happens a lot. And so there's a danger there in putting all the emphasis on the physical. But I'll tell you what's good about the physical. You can use it as a gauge. Okay? May not be 100% accurate, get you in the ballpark. For example, I may not know the condition of your heart, but I can tell you um, that it's not in the right place if you won't even show up around the Lord's table on the Lord's day. Right? So, you know, just because you're here doesn't mean everything's where it should be. But I know that your heart's not in the right place if you're in the deer blind or on the golf course instead of being around the table on the Lord's day. You see what I'm saying? So you can use the physical as a gauge to help us arrive at some, you know, some spiritual, uh, you know, things to work on. But, it, but you can't, you know, and that's kind of what God's doing here, right? He's bringing up, okay, you know, with an offering like that, why would I be favorable to you? It's not about the offering, right? He's just using the offering to get them to see the condition of their own heart, right? And, and preachers have to do that an awful lot, right? With, with things, you know. Again, it's not all about the physical, but you can use the physical as a pretty good guideline basis to, to judge where we're at with the spiritual sometimes. And so, so anyway, again, the thing that, you know, if you go back to the introduction of this class, the things that are being addressed in chapter 1 are supposed to be the easy parts of this. Showing up at the temple, bringing the sacrifice. I mean, these, these are the things that even when Israel was at their worst, these things seem to still be right, okay? And so they, they think their heart's in the right place. God's using these things to show them that it's not. And, you know, and, and again, you know, uh, what we need to see is if we want God's favor, if we want Him to receive us kindly, okay, you know, it, it starts with our attitude, and then that manifests us into, into our action. Okay, let's get back to this. Um, you can't get the right thing from the wrong thing. That's deep. Put that on a t-shirt, bumper sticker. We could make some money with that, Jake. <laughs> yeah. So there is, uh, but listen, there is no scenario where we get the right thing from doing the wrong thing. Okay? And as, as simple as that sounds, in the church, we miss this a lot. Okay? Um, sometimes we say, well, the end justifies the means. What does that mean? I see some head shaking. Yeah, we're going to... 
yeah, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna go about things the wrong way, but we're hoping that God will bless it and it'll be right in the end, right? That's, yeah, so, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a bad equation. It never works, okay? Uh, but here's the thing. It's a scenario that I think a lot of people are banking on, okay? I, um, well, let's, let's start with this one. You know, can, some, can a person be taught wrong and saved right? Okay, there's a lot of people banking on that, Right? You know, well, they don't have any doctrine. They've not been taught right. And, you know, they've not been taught what the gospel says, but their heart's in the right place. And we say that, right? We, we, we actually say things like that about people that believe in false doctrine. We say, well, they're good people. And, and you know, they're, they're committed to what they're doing. And they sacrifice a lot for it. And, and all of that sort of a thing. And so their heart's in the right place, even though they don't actually know the truth or believe the truth of the Bible. Okay? Does it work? Okay? In other words, we're trying to think that, well, faith doesn't actually have to factor into this. Okay? Ephesians 1.13 says, In Him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you're sealed with Him, or sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise. You know, after listening to the what? The truth. What if you didn't hear the truth? What if the version of the gospel that you received was twisted and perverted? And denominational and, 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 and missed various aspects and twisted various aspects of the faith. Is that going to count? Okay. In 1 Peter 1.22, since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls. Can you have a purified soul without the truth? I mean, we, we could talk about this all night. You know, the, 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 the necessity of truth. You know, you can't worship without it. Right? You can't be free without it. Uh, I mean, it's so essential to have truth in our life. And I, you know, I had a lady, you know, uh, a while back at Glencoe, several years ago. We, 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 you know, I tried to get into a Bible study with her, kind of one on one. And she, you know, for a while there was kind of hesitant. And then, but she was sitting through Bible studies, you know, on Sunday night and Wednesday night. And eventually, she came up to me and she said, "Ethan, she's like, I need, uh, she's like, I need to be immersed." And I said, "Well, that's great news, you know. I, I not news to me though. I knew that, you know." And uh, and she said, "But here's the thing. She's like, I've got." She, she was one of those, she, she had been involved in some church her entire life and had been through the whole spectrum of denominationalism and different things. She, her thinking was so twisted and she knew it. I mean, she's telling me, I'm so confused because of all the different doctrines that I've, I've been a part of and the things that I've grabbed a hold of and the things that I've been taught. She said, I have got to get some things straightened out first. And she says, I know right now that baptism would do me no good if, if I don't get these other things right as well. And so anyway, it was, it was phenomenal that she was able to see that, right? But it was, it was the same principle. She knew she needed the truth, that baptism alone wasn't going to be enough, right? And so um, we, she had to have some, some solid doctrine in her. And so anyway, it doesn't work. What about at funerals? How many times do we, and we, we do this to ourselves and we see other people do this. You take an individual who uh, didn't live a faithful Christian life and wasn't obedient to the gospel and they die, and then what happens to them? Well, at least they're in a better place. At least they're not in pain anymore, right? Are they really in a better place? Okay, now, you know, does it, does it change anything if it's a family member or if it's a loved one? Isn't it though? I mean, it's, 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 it's odd how, you know, what, what ends up happening is, you know, you've got someone who, who never lived the Christian life. Uh, you know, you, you didn't catch them praying or reading the Bible once in their life. Uh, and, and, and this has happened. I, you know, there was a funeral a while back. Uh, got, we got a phone call because they, uh, after they, the person had died, they were going through their stuff and found a baptismal certificate. 
Okay, didn't even know, they're like, well, I didn't even know he was a Christian. And so, praise God, now, you know, now we know. And so he's in a, you know, does, does finding that baptismal certificate change the life that he lived? It doesn't. It doesn't. And so, you don't, you don't get to do the wrong thing and arrive in the right place, right? You don't get the reward from not doing the right thing. And so, people that, that don't live the right life, that aren't obedient to the Gospel, they're not really in a better place. Be faithful until death. And I'll give you the crown of life. Does it say be baptized? It says be faithful until death. Okay? This is so important. You know, I think we stress this a lot in the tabernacle class too, but there is no verse of Scripture in the Bible that says baptism will get you to heaven. You know that? It's not in there. Okay? And, and we, we treat baptism like it's a Church of Christ, Christian church doctrine, and we kind of treat it like it's our thing. And then when it comes to most people, that's usually the only thing we're concerned about. Well, did you, were you baptized? Did you get baptized? You should come up and get baptized. Okay? The Bible doesn't say that baptism equals heaven. Now, are you going to get there without it? Absolutely not. It is essential. You hear me? It is essential. Don't, don't, don't think I'm saying it's not. But what, what gives you the crown of life? Faithfulness. Not baptism. Okay? Now, you need to be immersed to be put into Christ but you have to live that life. You have to be faithful. Okay, that's what the Bible says. James 1.12, same idea. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. Once he's been approved, he'll receive the crown of life. Okay, which the Lord promised to those who love him. Okay, and so, um, so anyway, but like I said, we, we say, well, here's, here's another one that might hit a little closer to home. Okay, the if you build it, they'll come mentality. Okay, our modern church uh, movement today Okay, this, this seems to be the way we're approaching evangelism. Now, I could hark on this for the next however many weeks we have left of this class, um, but you'd all get tired of hearing it uh, eventually. Um, the church building is not an evangelistic tool. Okay, you're, you're not going to find that in the Bible. You're not going to find where the goal was the church to go out and just invite everyone to come to your church meeting. Okay, that... Now, I'm not saying you, that's, that's a horrible idea. I'm not saying don't go out and invite people to come in and hear the gospel. But that's not the example that we find in the Scriptures. The example that we find in the Scripture, and this, this is something that, that is, is, I have always found fascinating, is like the book of Acts. I mean, well, come on, how many times do we study that? In the Church of Christ, it's like every opportunity we have, let's go through the book of Acts, you know. And so it is the acts of the church, right? It's, it's, we get the, the history of the first, the first century church there. And so we see the acts of the church. And throughout the whole book of Acts, how many, how many church assemblies do we actually get detail of and, and information about? Maybe one, maybe two, depending on how you look at it. So what, we got 28 chapters that cover the acts of the church and maybe 10, 15 verses that deal with the church meeting. Now if we had to write the history of the church today, could we even fill a page if we didn't include what took place in the building? So should the acts of the church be happening here or out there? Ought to be happening out there. Okay, go into all the world, right? Preach the gospel to every creature, right? We are to go out and make disciples of all the nations. The sower went out into the field to sow the seed. What's the field? Well, it's, the, it's the world, isn't it? Yeah. And so, you know, you, you, this, the, the farmer doesn't, doesn't sow the seed from the porch. You know, he's got to go out into the field to sow the, 
to sow the seed. And so anyway, so it is with us. And so the church building is not meant to be the evangelistic tool, but the idea today seems to be, let's build a new building. Um, let's, uh, you know, really cater to the, the needs of the people. And, and here's the thing, if you, you know, now there's very few Bible colleges left today, but most Bible colleges, at least in the last 15, 20 years, were, were, were pushing, this is how you did it. And then, now I wish I could make this stuff up. They, you know, if you wanted to make a church, here's what they would tell you to do. You need to go out, you need to find a upper middle class, um, you know, suburb of, of, a, of a wealthy city. That's, you know, lo- first rule of real estate, the same as church, location, location, location. And you all out here in Lab- Liberty, you're in the middle of nowhere, aren't you? I mean, you're, you're not in the middle of a big town. You don't, you don't have, you know, I mean, that's true. Glencoe's kind of the middle of nowhere too, brother. Um, but anyway, they'll tell you to go into a big suburb. You know, you're going to, uh, you want to, you want to go into upper middle classes where you, and then you want to canvas the area and survey the people, find out what they want in a church. Do you want long preaching? Do you want short preaching? Do you want traditional music? Do you want contemporary music? Do you want a lot of jokes? Uh, do you want more music or more preaching? Do you want it to be uh, more of a traditional kind of building or something more modern? Do you want uh, a live band? Do you want, you know, all of those sorts of things. And then you, you, you uh, take all that information and there's professionals out there that will help you. Okay, and so this, this is a whole big thing now. And so they'll, they'll help you get this stuff figured out. And when you get all that information together, a marketing team will come together with you and they will present it to the bank or whoever's going to lend you the money. And what they do is they, they, they do what's, uh, what they consider an estimated, um, uh, 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 an estimated growth and, and offering projection or something like, I don't know what they call it exactly, but what they're doing is from that area, they figure out what most people are making, what most people would be willing to give, and if you build the church that everybody wants, uh, what kind of growth you should expect, what kind of giving you should expect, and then they will give you a loan based on those numbers, okay? Now, so you can go out on faith and build the building that's going to get all the people to come, but you have to hit those, those benchmarks because what happens if within the first six months you're running behind on people and money? Well, bank's going to come knocking on the door, <laughs> you know, and you've probably got a few people in the congregation that maybe, maybe put their lives on the line here for this, right? And so real quick, what becomes the most important thing for that congregation? Oh, the loan, getting a healthy bottom number, well, you know, making sure the people are still coming. Right? And what you didn't encounter, what you didn't look, you know, what you weren't thinking about was the other church that was doing the exact same thing five minutes down the road, building an almost identical building. You know what I mean? Uh, and so there's all this competition. So anyway, that's the way the modern church movement works. So if you build it, they'll come, hopefully, and hopefully you, you'll have enough money to pay for it. And so that's the way things work. And let, here's the thing. It's the same. Do you, get, do you get God's church from doing it that way? Okay, you know, if you offer a lot of things that are not Jesus to get people into the church building, it's people really think you're going to end up with a large group of Christians. Isn't that bizarre? You know, we're going we're gonna to hook them with all these other things, but they're going to be in love with Jesus when it's all over with. You know, it, it won't work. You don't get it that way, right? So, you know, the way that works is the way that Jesus told us to do it. Go and make disciples. Baptize them and continue to teach them. That's the plan, 
right? That's Jesus's plan. He knew what he was talking about. He knew this is the way to build his church. It's not, it doesn't happen overnight. It takes a lot of work, right? It's slow process. You're you're not going to have, I know sometimes we look at Acts chapter 2 and say one sermon, 3,000 people came forward, ought to have that today. I don't, I don't know that it works that way. Those 3,000 people had spent three years with Jesus teaching and preaching and they saw them, you know, I mean, they were, they were ready, you know, and so we're, you know, it's, it's but it, it's one-on-one work, right? And, and so anyway, it's, you can't go about this different than the scripture and expect to get the same results, okay? And so, and here's the other thing. Don't, don't think, you know, because I know how, I know I've been guilty of this too, okay? I, got, I have to personally watch myself. Don't, don't sit back and think, well, at least I'm not doing what they're doing. That doesn't make what we're doing the right thing. Okay? We need to make sure what we're doing is the right thing, but just because it's not what they're doing doesn't mean that what we're doing is better. Okay? And that's kind of the church's claim to fame is, well, at least we're not as bad as those people. <laughs> you know, um, it's very, uh, well, I think Jesus had a parable about that, you know. But, um, but realizing doesn't work, what doesn't work, that's part of the process, but we have to do what, what actually does work, what gets us there. Okay, let's look here. Verse 10, this is, uh, so we went earlier, and, you know, and I, I was talking about if you don't want to be here, then don't be here, and you know, if you don't want to help, then, then maybe, maybe you should just you know, stop showing up, and, and I know that seems hard, but here's what God is saying. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the gates that you might not uselessly kindle fire on my altar. I'm not pleased with you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from you. Okay? Um, God is looking for a volunteer to shut down the temple. That's what He wants. Okay? And this, this verse here just screams at us and it says, hey, um, if, if you're not going to do it my way, I really do wish you all just go home. Okay, and so I know it's not a popular idea. Uh, it definitely doesn't fit in with the seeker-friendly mentality of, of most of our modern uh, church movements. Uh, but God, looking to his people in Malachi, said, okay, if you're not going to do this the way I want you to do it, I wish someone would just close shop and go home. That's it. That's it. Yeah. So, all right, let's take a quick break. We'll come back to this here in a few minutes. <clears throat> Um, okay, so um, I've got, you know, we're not going to go over all this again because we just went through the tabernacle class. But, you know, keep in mind when God says, I wish someone was there to shut the gates, okay? Uh, you know, what is the temple for? I think I've got this diagram on your notes there. You know, everything on the outside, you know, refresh your course was about dealing with our sin. So it was the way we dealt with sin. And then everything on the inside, the showbread, the lampstand, the altar of incense, was about dealing with our relationship with God. But in a nutshell, the temple is man's link to God in the Old Testament. And God says he's done with it. Now what is that saying to the people? He's done with them. There is no other link to him. You know, you, you, don't, you don't have another altar down the street. You don't have another temple. And you know, this is it. This is the only link that God had with them. And when he says, I wish someone would just close the gate, he's saying, I'm, I'm done having this one-sided relationship with all of you. Okay, and so, you know, and so again, God's saying, if you're not going to do this the way I told you to do it, uh, their service is, is useless and he's not accepting what they're offering. And, you know, we, we, we talked about this in the tabernacle that we've talked about it tonight, that idea that we think, 
you know, as long as we do something, at least that's better than not doing anything. And, you know, something is not better than nothing. Uh, you know, and we kind of say that, well, it's the thought that counts. That, that's fine for birthday parties and things like that. It's not fine with Jesus Christ and the Lord of our lives and the one whom we're supposed to be committed to uh, for all eternity here. So there's nothing in the Bible that suggests that God thinks it's just the thought that counts, right? He wants what he asked for. He knows we can do it, right? He's asked what's reasonable, uh, you know, our reasonable service of worship. And uh, God's saying, if I can't have that, he doesn't, he doesn't want anything less. He doesn't want substitutes. It's all in. Okay? And, so, and of course, there's, there's consequences for trying to substitute. We've, we've kind of seen that before as well. All right, let's, let's move on. Um, <clears throat> I'm worried we're not going to have time for all this. Um, Yeah, let's move on to verse 11. I guess to close out that verse, let's just, let's just think of this. If God were to evaluate us, okay, you and I, uh, our congregations, uh, our Christianity, our faith, uh, our service, our deeds, um, you know, those sorts of things, you know, if he were to evaluate us in the same light as the people of Malachi's day, you, you got to wonder what would God say to us, you know. And this, this is a good thing to think about almost any time in the Bible, you know, but, you know, when we gather, are we uselessly kindling fire? You know, is that the idea? Um, is, he, is he pleased with our commitment? Are we actually showing him respect and honor by the way that we carry ourselves and, 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 uh, and, and respond to him? If our, is our Christianity acceptable to him or is it only what's acceptable to us? You know, would, would God just assume us shut the doors and keep doing what we're doing? And, you know, I think about this. Sometimes, sometimes people say this, and, and again, I, I get, I'm sympathetic to it. That doesn't make it okay. Um, sometimes, you know, people will have a friend or a family member that's not a Christian. And, you know, and then they get news that the friend or family member is, is now attending a church. And it's, it's not a church that teaches or preaches the truth. And the sentiment is, well, at least they're going somewhere, right? And, you know, and, and that, that, that is a story that I hear all the... I mean, it's very, very common, okay? Now, there, there's, there's two things that I think about with that. You know, one is, okay, well, maybe if, 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 if we were more involved with that person, then if they were going to start going somewhere, it'd probably have been with us. Right, And so, you know, a lot of times what we do is we say, well, here's a person I care about and I love them uh, and I, I want them to be in the church, but I'm not doing anything about it, right? I'm not having that conversation with them. I'm not, I'm not living and sharing my life with them in a way where they can see that light in my life. And so sometimes, you know, it's like, well, if they were going to gravitate toward, you know, a church, why did they pick that one? Why, why aren't they coming with you? Well, maybe, maybe you're praying for them, but you're not actually involved with them. That could be. Now, there's, there's other factors to play in that as well. Um, but, but the other thing to think about, you know, is, is, you know, we say, well, at least they're going somewhere. Well, number one, of course, let's stop, stop calling it church if it's not the truth, okay? And so without the truth, where they're going, that's, that's not a group of people that are called out by God. Uh, number two, they're still lost, okay? But now they don't realize that they're lost. And so they think they're better off than they were when they started. Now, you think that puts them in a better position or worse? It makes it a lot harder to make a difference there, okay? And so they're not better off. And then, you know, I had someone tell me, you know, we, uh, not that long ago, we were talking about uh, an institution that had some false doctrine at play there. Pretty, pretty apparent too. And, uh, 
Anyway, it really bothered me. And this person said, well, you know what, though? If, it, if at least one person, if it at least helps one person, right, uh, maybe, maybe uh, become a Christian, then it's probably worth it. <sighs> yeah. Well, but the thing is, it's like we think it's that or nothing. You know what I mean? Like either we can do this big thing that's full of false doctrine or let's do nothing. And so we think, well, maybe that would help. Well, you know, the other option is we just present the truth. Like that is an alternative that is always going to be better than something that has compromised the truth for the sake of gaining popularity, which let's face it, that's why they're doing, these places do what they do. And so anyway, uh, it, it's, it's, you know, if one person's better off because it, how, how many people are worse off because the truth wasn't being proclaimed there. Again, you don't get the right thing from doing the wrong thing. There's, there's no equation where that works out. And so we need to examine, um, examine those things. And so, uh, you know, if, if the church isn't going to preach the truth, what good is the church? If the preacher won't stand and, and address things that need to be addressed, what good is that preacher? Okay, and believe me, I say this realizing that I'm a preacher. <laughs> okay, so, you know, um, you know if... if uh, if, if the, the, the people won't be accountable to one another, if we're not going to be evangelistic, if we aren't furthering the work of God, God's got to be looking down here thinking, what's the point, right? What, what, what in the world are they doing? And, and why, do they think, why are they wasting their time, you know? And, and that's, that's the thing that bothers me. You know, I, sometimes I, I, uh, I've seen congregations where they just get stuck and they, you know, it's been 20 or 30 years since anything's happened there. And it's like, why are we still circling the wagons? Why aren't we moving? Why aren't we trying to make a difference? Why, why are we just doing the same thing? And if what we're doing isn't working, why aren't we being honest enough to evaluate that and say, maybe we need to, to start back at uh, square one here and, and figure out where we went wrong, you know? And so those are things we're thinking about. <clears throat> um, Certainly, you would think that what God is saying to the people here in Malachi's day would get their attention. All right, verse 11, he says, For from the rising of the sun, even to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense is going to be offered to my name. And a grain offering that is pure for my name will be great among the nations says the Lord of hosts. This is really cool because this is, this is the prophecy, you know, kingdom prophecy, uh, messianic prophecy. You know, he's talking about something that will come in the future. Um, you've all, you know, this probably isn't news to you, but that word nations, anytime we see that word in the Old Testament, it's the exact same word that we would translate Gentiles, right? It's, it's not talking about a nation like as a country, like, you know, it's talking about people that are outside of the Jewish faith, right? That uh, among the rest of the world, uh, he's saying, saying that from the rising of the sun to the setting, God's name will be great. Well, what's God's name among God's people here in Malachi? Is it great? No, it's despised, right? It's, it's, they, they loathe the name of God and the work that God's doing. And so God's kind of saying, I may not be much around here. I'm going to be something out there. And so God is referring to the time when the gospel is going to be proclaimed to all people. And so, you know, and you think about this, okay? This isn't just talk. We get into Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. How do the Jewish people respond to Christ? You know, think about, you know, what no greater faith have I seen in all of Israel than this Gentile, right? I mean, uh, you know, the, the, it seems to be that the Gentiles seem to be more, and, and how many times is, does, does Jesus use the Gentiles to shame the Jews? It'll be more tolerable for you, you know, than, uh, than uh, uh, you know, or, you know, it talks about the people of Nineveh standing up against them in judgment, and talking about the Queen of the South standing against them in judgment. Those are, those are all Gentiles, by the way. And so, you know, this, this, this is not just talk. I mean, you know, 
they don't want to give, give glory to God and his name and his plan, uh, but the Gentiles are going to appreciate it. You know? And of course, that doesn't mean that all the, all the Israelite people won't, but at this point, that's where they're at. And so he says, and at that time, incense will be offered in his name in every place. Well, in the Old Testament covenant, where was incense offered? Inside the tabernacle, inside the holy place, and nowhere else. That incense was specifically not allowed to be offered anywhere else. It was offered at the time of prayer. You know, we kind of, we went through, we're not going to go through this in detail, but the incense represents our prayers. Um, you know, Revelation, the incense it literally is the prayers of the saints. But even in the Old Testament, may my prayer be counted as incense before you. Uh, in Luke 1.10, uh, incense was offered during the hour of prayer. And so everyone would be praying while the incense was offered. And so it's this idea of prayer and incense. The incense physically was not allowed to be offered anywhere but inside the holy place holy place by the priests uh, you know and nobody else and so that was that was very very specific so when God says there's coming a time where incense will be offered in my name in every place and he's talking about by the by the nations by the Gentiles what's he referring to it's referring to the time of the church, right? The time like now when, when we can pray in any place because we are the holy place of God. We are the temple of God, right? And so he, he's referring to that time. And so it's, it's, it's a really cool, uh, you know, messianic thread here of the kingdom. And so, you know, <clears throat> the idea then is that, you know, what we need to get from this is that no matter what you do or have done, God will be worshiped. He will be honored. His name will be great. And if not by you, it will be by somebody else. And sometimes, you know, sometimes in the church, <clears throat> people almost act like they've got a leverage on God. And, and, I, and I've, I've, you know, I've, I've been ignorant enough to say these things myself, okay? But there, sometimes, you know, I've been frustrated and thought, well, you know what? If I didn't do it, this stuff just wouldn't get done around here. You ever, you ever done that before in the church? Okay, let me tell you something. I go out, I die, I don't make it home tonight. You know, you all might miss me next week when you're wondering where Ethan is. Uh, you know, my wife will probably have a hard time for a couple weeks. About a month or two later, by that point, everyone's gotten on with themselves and Ethan is just a vague memory in the past. That's life, guys, right? Everything will go on. The Lord's work will continue without me. You see, so none of us should think we're so great that the Lord hinges on me being here to do His work. And that's what happened with, 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 uh, with, the, with Judah. You know, after Israel was taken into captivity, Judah sat back and very arrogant and thought, would never happen to us, right? We've got the temple. God needs us, right? And so they, they were, you know, even in Jeremiah, he says, you're trusting in deceptive words saying, oh, the temple of the Lord, oh, the temple of the Lord, oh, the temple of the Lord. Well, God showed them what He do with the temple, yeah, he did, you know, he destroyed it. He let it be, and they thought, oh, God would never let that happen to us, right? And so, you know, my point is, you know, we, we should never act like, you know, that we have, have gotten to this point where we get to, we, you don't get a pass on the truth and on the glory of the Lord, you see? And so it, it doesn't matter what we've done. It doesn't matter what you're doing. That doesn't excuse you from an appropriate attitude and an appropriate service to the Lord, right? That's, that's what matters. And so, uh, if the Jews of, of Malachi's day were not willing to worship God to the standards that he expected, God is sure he will find people who will worship him the way he expects to be worshipped. And that's exactly what God ended up doing. <clears throat> All right, let's move on. Verse 12 and 13. He says, But you are profaning it in that you say, The table of the Lord is defiled. And as for its fruit, its food is to be despised. You also say, my, how tiresome it is. And you disdainfully sniff at it, 
says the Lord of hosts, and you bring what was taken by robbery, what's lame or sick, and so you bring the offering. Should I receive that from your hand? All right. So, you know, the, the questions kind of change, and it started with, well, God, how have you loved us? Then went to how have we defiled you? To now God saying, hey, why should I accept what you're offering? And, you know, another way we could say this is, you know, maybe what God is asking here is, you know, you know when he says, should I receive that from your hand? Just because they're, 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 they're offering something doesn't mean that God should accept it. And, you know, we live in a world, and especially we live in a time, and it is what it is, like it or not, there's more, there is more religion right now in our, in our society than probably ever before. And there's almost no truth. You see what I mean? I mean, that's just where we, everyone, everybody's spiritual. Everybody has their own, you know, and this all started before COVID. It got amplified during COVID. But, you know, churches in general started detaching themselves from the Bible. And so, you know, what, what the general consensus was is nobody really wants to hear it and the Bible's outdated and, and that's not how you're going to get people. And again, the goal was to get people. And so we kind of let the Word of God take a back seat and, you know, we replaced that with other, other books and philosophies and psychology and things like that and money management and how to be a better friend and you know that kind of sermons and stuff like that and and so we've watered that down to the point where most people think they they can detach their faith from the from the bible right those two things don't necessarily have to go together and so you know one of the things that is so difficult about trying to to uh trying to evangelize is that Everybody that you run across has a strong opinion about God, about the church, about the Bible. And you don't know where that opinion comes from. Not from the Bible, for sure. But, but it doesn't matter, right? Because for years we've been slowly uh, getting it across to people's minds that you don't have to, to base these things in reason or logic or the Bible. You know, that, that you can just decide, you know, that you identify as a Christian and everyone's supposed to just accept that and, and how dare we, we say that maybe you need to do something different and things like that. And so everybody has this strong opinion and maybe it came from their parents, maybe it came from TV, maybe it came from their university that they went to. You know, who knows where it came from? But, you know, everyone has this strong opinion and then you've got to try to take them back to the Bible and then you've got to defeat their opinion with the Word of God if they're willing to do it. Uh, and then you've got to rebuild from there out of that rubble to have something that constitutes biblical faith. And it's a process that you can't do in a 20-minute discussion. Right? It, it's something that's going to take some serious time and one-on-one, -on -one, you've got to be patient. You have to be sensitive to, to where they're coming from. You have to try to understand where they're at and how to get them to, to think and question those things in a, in, in a reasonable way through the Bible. And it's, it's very, very hard. And people's lives are a mess and it's full of chaos. And, and you, know, you start getting involved with people and you're dealing with addiction and drugs and alcohol and you're dealing with broken marriages and abuse and neglect. and I mean, all of that stuff's tied up into this and it's all because our world has failed everybody and there's, there's hope in the gospel but you've got to get through all of that. It's so difficult. 
and, and then, you know, and again, n- almost nobody comes to it as an empty slate. I mean, I wish they would. The best candidate that you'll ever find for, for evangelism is someone that is just knows nothing about the Bible, right? Just a clean, empty slate. If you find that, you grab a hold of them, man, and you sit down with them and share, and you'll be so excited, uh, you'll turn their life around in an instant. But almost nobody's like that. Everybody that I meet, man, they've got strong opinions of why they don't do this and why they don't do that and why the church shouldn't be like this. And, you know, and they got strong opinions about me before they meet me just because they know I'm a preacher. And so you got to fight through all of that kind of stuff. And, and the thing is, you know, having opinion everybody's got one but it doesn't make you right and the only opinion that should matter is God's and here in Malachi the people have to come to grips with that because you know God has declared what's acceptable and what's not and the priests have looked at what's unacceptable and said this is fine and then now the people are wondering why God doesn't want it you see how this relates, right? I mean, you know, it's the same thing today. God has declared what He wants, what He doesn't want. People have decided that other things are acceptable, and then we're wondering why it's not working. Okay, well, should, should God accept this from the people just because the leadership said it was okay? You know, it's, it's funny. Probably three times in the last month, I've had a conversation with, with a Christian somewhere in, a, in a supposedly the Lord's church somewhere these are isolated incidents where something was going on in the leadership they came not to stir up trouble but just said hey i i i don't agree with what's going on i just want to give you a chance to show me scripturally why you're doing what you're doing i'm not trying to stir up trouble not trying to gossip not trying to get i just want to know from a from a biblical standpoint why we're doing it this way you know, maybe I'm ignorant, maybe I'm wrong. And so, I, you know, that's, I think that's a good way to go about it. And in every instance, the leadership looked at that individual and said, you know what, this is our decision. And so even if it's wrong, it doesn't matter for you. Uh, it just matters for us. And so I think, you know, I, just, just go along with it. And if it's wrong, well, it'll be our fault, not yours. Does that work? Yeah, you, you don't get an excuse. You see, just because, well, you know, the leadership, it's their problem. See, and so, you know, just because the priests have decided we'll accept what's unacceptable, it doesn't give the people a pass to keep bringing what's unacceptable. Now, we've talked about this. The way leadership works is people follow leadership, and it's really hard. I mean, if you have a congregation where it's acceptable to not do things right and not do things the biblical way and not follow the biblical pattern, and you want to try to do things the biblical way, um, you, you'll be the bad guy in a heartbeat. I mean, you think about Malachi's day. Imagine that there's somebody among the, the congregation of Israel who is bringing the best that they have and bringing it before the Lord. And everybody else has got the goats that are hacking up and sick and blind and half blind and whatever else, you know. But you're going to bring the best because you know that's what God really wants, right? And then, you know, by you being in line with that goat, what does that do to everybody else? Oh, it makes them look bad. So you don't think that's going to cause you problems? It's a very Cain and Abel situation. Yeah, I mean, you're going to be the target, right? The upright, you know, the wicked have the, uh, the upright in, the, in their crosshairs, man. And so, you know, that's going to be a problem. And then what if you start addressing it? Hey, priests, you explain to me why you accepted that one? How's that going to go over, Right? You know, and so you, you can see the problems here. And so, you know, anyway, a lot of people today are, are satisfied with going along with things that aren't okay just because, well, the leadership said it was okay. 
They, they, don't, they don't get a pass, right? I mean, they are subjected to the same word that we, the rest of us are, right? Their job is to hold the line on it, not to come up with loopholes and ways to get around it. And so, you know, they'll say, well, yeah, this, this, is, this is my, I say, it's, this is my least. But, you know, sometimes in churches, you know, you'll sit down, you'll say, well, this is what the Bible says. And then the leadership will say, but this is what our bylaws say. You all have ever been in that situation before? Who wrote the bylaws? Some man did. Okay, are they ordained by God? No. So why is it that those bylaws become more important than the Word of God? Like, and this is a serious debate that churches will have. I mean, and churches will split over this kind of stuff because you're questioning their bylaws, you know, as opposed to the Word of God. And and so anyway, I, I don't understand it, but it's the same thing here. So God's doesn't matter that that the priests have accepted it. God says, why should I accept this from your hand? Just because the priest said it was okay doesn't mean that God's is is actually accepting it. So you know, here, here's the idea the, the worship that we see in Malachi is both selfish and it's insincere it's selfish because it only serves the worshiper it, it's it's what's easy it's what's convenient I'm going to bring what makes me feel better but not what actually is what God wanted and so you know you got to be careful when your your version of Christianity turns into doing something just so you can feel good at night uh, but isn't actually what God asked of you okay and so it's, it's selfish for that reason. It's insincere because it's all, it's all talk and no substance, right? There's no honor behind it. There's no reverence behind it, no respect. Uh, and so it's, that's why it's insincere. And so the question I have up here is, well, what does that produce? Okay, well, what did, the, what did God get out of this? disrespect is what he got out of it. I mean, he's not accepting it, right? He wants them to stop doing it. So God is getting nothing from this. Now, what did the people get out of it? Are they better off for doing it this way? No, and so, and so that's what I'm trying, you know, no one is benefiting. Nobody wants, because here's, here's what, are, what are the people saying? My, how tiresome it is. And you disdainfully sniff at it. So they're doing it and it's, it's selfish, right? It's what's easy. Uh, it, it, it's it's what, what is convenient for them. And even though that they've compromised in every facet here of what God wanted to do, their attitude about it is still, I don't even want to do this, right? My, how tiresome this is. And they disdainfully sniff at it. So the people don't want it. And what is God saying? Shut it down. God doesn't want it either. Okay? And so, it's, the reason God says this isn't acceptable, it's really simple. It doesn't work for anybody. It is just as hollow for the worshiper as it is for God. Priests don't want to give it. God doesn't want to receive it. And so the people are saying, my, how tiresome it is. Now, to contrast that, true worship is not tiresome and not wearisome to the worshiper. Okay, people grow cold in their devotion to God and they, 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 when they, that happens, it's because they're not getting anything out of what they're doing. Okay, now I've, I've said this before, you know, if... if if I had no intention of, of, of using the information that I got out of a Bible study 
then sitting through what you all are sitting through tonight would be the most painful thing I could imagine doing. Right? I mean, if I had no intention of using this information, um, you know, in my own life to share with others, I mean, you couldn't pay me to come and sit and listen to someone lecture uh, about something that I wasn't interested in. Right? But because that I want to be evangelistic and I want to grow spiritually, I can't think of anything I'd rather do than sit and be, be, be edified in the Word of God. I, I love this stuff. I love preaching. I love the Word of God. I love hearing, you know, I, 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 I'm amazed at how many preachers don't listen to preaching. You know what I mean? Like, you know, we expect everyone else to, but we don't think we need to. You know, I mean, I, I got to grow too, you know, but I love preaching. I love when the Word of God is being talked about. I, 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 it really bothers me when you meet Christians that you can't have a spiritual conversation with. That, that shouldn't be the case, okay? Um, but, but like I said, when, when people are growing cold in this, it's because they're not getting anything out of it. And, you know, they're, they're, they're showing up, but they're you know, they're not paying attention and, and, and they're not spiritually growing and they're not really considering one another. And unfortunately, when they fall into a routine like that, they, they usually blame the congregation or the preacher and then they, they disappear. Uh, but, but there's this phenomenon that's happening in our culture and in the church today. It's, it's called ministry burnout. Have you all, is this something you've all been exposed to before? Okay, ministry burnout. Okay, what is ministry burnout? Well, in the last... I don't know, maybe 10 years or so, this term has become ever more popular. And it's this idea uh, where in our churches, people are leaving, preachers are quitting, and leaders are stepping down. And it's not because of problems. It's because of what they're, they're calling burnout. They got burned out. Here's how you define burnout. This is scary when you, if, if you're aware of how often this is happening in the church. The definition of burnout is where one's devotion to a cause or a relationship fails to produce the desired results. And so let's say that you had a sales job and you were only going to get paid commission. How long would you work and put in the effort if, if you didn't ever make a sale? You know, at some point you'd say, well, this is not... I'm not earning an income from this, and so maybe this isn't my thing. I should go do something else, right? So you burn out because you're putting in all the effort, but you're not getting the desired result. You know, it happens in a relationship sometimes, and the guy and girl get together and uh, try to be boyfriend and girlfriend or whatever, and, you know, over time, it's just, it just doesn't work out. You're putting in the effort, but you're not getting the desired result, and so it fizzles out, okay? Now, you know, that, we can see where that happens in the world, but it's scary to think that this happens in the church. It happens to preachers. It happens to it happens to preachers a lot enough that it's something that I am, am bringing up constantly with the guys that we're, we're trying to train up to preach because I want them to be in this for the long haul and as you all know I mean most preachers don't stick around in one place very long and uh, you know and, and most preachers don't stay in the pulpit for very long I know that there's some major exceptions in here uh, which is good but, uh, but we're, we're few and far between, you know. And so, you know, to get these guys really prepared. And so, you know, I was thinking about this. The world, like, you can't hardly open up a Christian magazine or go to a Christian bookstore or hear something like that on the radio without hearing somebody address burnout in ministry. And, and, and have you seen articles on this? 
blogs, things like that on the internet. Here's some of the solutions. Well, I don't have any of the solutions up there. Let me read. Here, here's basically what, what the, this is, this is what Christian resources say are the solutions to ministry burnout. Basically, it boils down to what, you know, you should learn to say no. So, you know, Jake should just tell people no. That's, that's how you, you don't burn out, okay? Um, you know, you got to learn to take a break, right? So a little more me time in your life, a little less uh, Jesus time. Um, you need to limit your involvement. The less, than, you, know, you know, you can't overextend yourself. Uh, you need more staff to take care of that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, and, uh, you know, and again, more, more me time. Take breaks, those sorts of things, okay? Let's, let's look at what the Scripture says about this, okay? Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence. What's diligence? Yeah, painstaking effort. I like it. It's hard work, right? It's an intentional hard work. He says don't lag behind in intentional hard work, right? In painstaking effort. Be fervent in your spirit. Okay? Serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope. Preserving in tribulation. Yep. Persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, and practicing hospitality. I mean, how much does take a little me time and learn to say no and limit your involvement fit in with that? Yeah, yeah. Galatians 6, 9, let us not lose heart, right? And doing good, for in due time we'll reap if we do not grow weary. Right? You need a break? Is that what it says? Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. See, here's, here's, the, here's, here's, here's where we miss it. Okay, Always abounding in what kind of work? Work of the Lord. Now, you know, I, we don't have time for me to get into this as much as I'd like to, but I am, I am strongly... Uh, of the opinion that most preachers, leaders are burning out because all the work they're doing isn't the Lord's work. It's a bunch of other work that they put on themselves. They try to turn this into a corporate machine, a corporate business, and they try to turn preaching into a corporate job. It's not. It's, it's absolutely not. You know, it's not a, you don't do banker's hours. It's not a nine to five. I've known preachers that if you call them at six, they'll say, I'm off the clock. You know? I don't get it, guys. I don't get it. This is, this is not like anything else in the world. We need to quit trying to model it like everything else going on around us. And so I would argue that if you're, if you're always abounding in other kind of work and calling it church work and calling it preacher work and call, you know, calling it evangelism, you'll probably burn out because it's not going to get the result that you want. But the Lord's work, you, you don't get tired of that, Right? Matter of fact, when you, when you get involved with the Lord's work, it, it excites you to do more, right? It pushes you to do more. It, it, that fire keeps burning. This, I love this. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we've received mercy, we do not lose heart. See, in this ministry, we don't lose heart. In this ministry, there is no burnout. You see? But if you do some other ministry that's not the Lord's work, I guarantee you, you will fizzle out. That, that, that whole system we just talked about, about evangelism and how it's if you build the right building and set up the right programs, that will burn you out. Because it won't create the desired result you think it will. You won't get the church that Jesus died for by building it some other way than the way Jesus told us to. It won't happen. 
So they're tired of, uh, of this insecure and selfish worship. Okay, verse 14. We, will, we, are, oh, we are almost going to get done with this. All right. Be, cursed be the swindler who has a male in his flock and vows it, but sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord, for I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is feared among the Gentiles. Okay. So first thing first here, what's he calling them? That word swindler is interesting in the, uh, in the text here. Uh, the New American Standard says a swindler. King James uses deceiver. The NIV ESV calls it a cheat. Uh, the definition of the, of, the, of the actual word used there is to defraud, to act treacherously, to conspire, to deceive. It's the same word that's going to be used in Malachi chapter 3. Um, there in verse 8 uh, that says... Uh, you know, will a man rob God, but you're robbing me. Okay, it's the same word that's used there. Okay, it's a swindler, right? The, the thief, the, the, you know, you're, it's a, you're deceiving. And, uh, that, and it's, it's treacherous and you're conspiring. That's the idea. Okay, and so, you know, in, <clears throat> here in Malachi 1.14, uh, we are not talking about their, their tithe and their, you know, he says, look, he says, curse be the swindler who has a male in his flock, vows it, but sacrifices a blemished animal. Okay, so what he's dealing with, you guys ever seen these, these pictures? They, they, fly, they used to be popular on the internet. I don't know if they still are. Where they, they show you like what people expect and then what the reality is. Okay, we'll do this real quick. Okay, Big Mac. Okay, there's what the commercial. So we get the expectation and then you go and get your Big Mac and there's your reality. Anybody get let down by that? Okay, yeah. How about, uh, how about a Arby's beef and cheddar? They look so good in the commercial. I've never, had, I've never had one that didn't look like it's been stepped on by everyone in the kitchen staff when I unwrapped it, okay? Uh, Taco Bell, come on now. I mean, I've never seen anything look like that on the left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know what you call it. How about, the, how about this one? You guys you ever done the, the frozen... It, no, it, no. <laughs> okay. Um, Christmas tree. Okay. Yeah, yeah. If you've ever been let down there. Okay, so you get the idea, right? So there's what we're advertising, and then there's what the reality is. This is what God's talking about here. He says, okay, curse be the swindler who has the male in his flock and vows it. So that's the expectation, what you promised. But then what, what are they actually bringing? Here comes Jake with the, the goat with three blind eyes now. Okay, so... <laughs> uh, yeah, so they're, they're vowing the best thing that they have. They're promising God, I'm going to give you the best. But when it comes time to deliver, it's, it's nothing. It's, it's very, very different. And so, so this is the problem. And so they, 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 you know, someone vows the best they have. And, and that, this begs the question, what are they doing with what they vowed? Yeah, I mean, they're okay. Does this remind you guys of anything? I'm sorry? Selling it? Sure, maybe. Yeah, how about Ananias and Sapphira? What was their issue? Didn't they promise? You know, and the whole point was they didn't have to, right? I mean, they could have just been honest, but they were trying to look 
more spiritual than they really were. So they, they oh, we, this is all, you know, we sold, here's the whole thing, and, but they really kept some of it back, and, which would have been fine if they had just been honest about it. Same kind of idea, right? I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm vowing, I'm, you know, and we're going to get into that when we get into tithes and offering. We're going to find out that what you vow is an offering. It's not, you, know, you don't vow a tithe, you pay a tithe. And so we, we aren't talking about what, you know, they, they didn't have to vow this is, is my point. They, they could have just said, I'm not going to give it, and that would have been okay. Uh, this, is re- this would be referring to an offering, not to, the, not to a tithe. Uh, that, that'll make more sense in two chapters, um, I hope. But, uh, but anyway, this, this is the problem though, okay? And so, um, yeah, it's, it's, they want to they appear righteous without it actually cost them anything, okay? And so, so here's the thing. What have, we, what have we vowed to the Lord? What is the expectation that we have set for the Lord uh, with, with what we have vowed? Yeah, our entire lives, right? I mean, every Christian has, has uh, agreed that Jesus is to be the Lord of my life. That, I mean, that's a heavy vow, right? Because what is a Lord? You, can't, you know, we, I know we've been through this. Everybody wants Jesus to save them from their sins. Nobody wants Jesus to be the Lord of their life. If He's not the Lord of your life, He's not the Savior of your life. Okay, those things have to go together. And so we've, we've agreed, Jesus, you get to be in charge. You, you get to sit on the throne in my life. Right? So th- these are the kind of things that we, you know, we, we've agreed to pick up our cross daily. Right? Whoever loses my li- his life for my sake. Right? Those, those kind of things. And so, you know, we've, we've got um, Romans 12.1, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. No longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And so these are the things that we have uh, that we have vowed. How often does the Lord get less from us? Quite a bit. Quite a bit. Okay? And so he says, cursed be the swindler who's vowed the best and offered me something much less. Okay? And so let's uh, let's talk about blessings and curses in the next three minutes and we'll get out of here. Um <laughs> Blessings and curses go hand in hand. And, and I don't think there's anything necessarily uh, miraculous about this. Um, I, I, think this I think God just kind of set this up this way. Okay, we can go into Deuteronomy chapter 11, uh, verses 26 through 28. Uh, you know, here going over the law, God says, See, I'm setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing... If you listen to the commandments of the Lord your God, which I'm commanding you today, and the curse, if you do not listen to the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way which I'm commanding you today and by following other gods. And so the idea was that, you know, the law was a curse and it was a blessing, right? And so what made the difference? Yeah, how you reacted. And so, and again, I'd argue every sermon could go that way. You know, I can preach a sermon that, that half of you would be like, man, that was encouraging. And half of you would be like, oh man, that really hurt and convicted me. You know, it, it all just depends on where you're at with, with the Word of God. Every verse can cut two different ways. It is a double-edged sword, right? And so there's blessings and there's curses. Blessings if you follow it. Curses if you reject it, right? And so to, to define these words, you know, a blessing means to receive favor from God, to be well off that which results in happiness and joy. That's the idea of blessing. And the idea of being cursed is to be removed from God's favor, right? That which will result in misery or despair, uh, quite literally to be cut off, okay? And so we see this... Um, 
In the New Testament, there are a few times being used uh, this idea. Romans 9.3 literally, literally talks about those being cursed and separated from Christ. Uh, 1 Corinthians, I'll, I'll, I'll read over these a little slow. Romans 9.3, if you want to write that down. 1 Corinthians 16.22. Uh, those that do not love the Lord are to be cursed, cut off. Galatians 1.6-9 talks about those who offer a different gospel. Right, are to be accursed, okay, cut off. That's the idea. Uh, pretty strong language, though, is, is kind of the point. But, but here's the thing. Blessings bring happiness, and curses bring unhappiness. And so, you know, there's some examples of this. In Genesis, the earth was cursed. Well, what was the result of that? Okay, what was it? Weeds, rocks, mosquitoes, poison ivy, poison oak, uh, cancer, bats. Cats, cats, <laughs> for sure. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, so anyway, anybody happy about any of those things? Yeah. So you know, the curses bring uh, unhappiness, right? I mean, that's that's the idea. Um, blessings obviously are to be found in the favor of God. Well, if you and we don't have time to do it, if you go through Deuteronomy twenty-seven and chapter twenty-eight, okay, uh, chapters twenty-seven and twenty-eight. He goes into specifics. Listen, he says, Cursed is the man that dishonors his parents, all right, that cheats his neighbor, that misleads the blind, that distorts the justice, oppresses the alien, the orphan, or the widow, that involves himself in incest, strikes a neighbor, accepts a bribe, or hurts the innocent. Do you think that there's anybody in this world that's going to live like that and actually be happy with their life? In the moment, but these things come with a price, don't they? Right, and so you know, if you're going to live that way, it 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 does come with a cost, right? You will be miserable one way or the. I mean, if you lie, and I, you, you all have met liars, they think everybody's a liar, right? They're paranoid, right? You meet a thief, they think everybody's stealing from them. They're paranoid. You know, they're not happy. You know, people that live like that have no joy, no blessedness, no peace in their life. And so, you know, that that's the idea. If you're not going to listen to God and follow God, you you will be miserable. Okay? Now that doesn't mean, I'm not trying to preach this health and wealth gospel. I'm not saying if you listen to God, God's just, you know, but your life will be better off because you've listened to God. You will have peace. You will have joy. Doesn't mean that you won't suffer. Doesn't mean that you won't go through hard times, but you'll go through it a whole lot better than you would without the Lord, for sure. Right? And so, so that's the idea. You live this kind of life, um, you know, uh, you're, you're going to be you're going to be happy uh, because God's way works and it's practical. Practical. And so, <clears throat> Anyway, the, the idea here is the curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous, okay? And so the idea is that we don't want to be cut off from God's favor, okay? And so we need to deliver on, on God's expectation that, that we ourselves have set up there by vowing our lives to him, okay? That's, that's the idea. And then look at this. He says, and my name is feared among the nations, Okay, this is really interesting because this one is not a prophecy. This is not future tense, is it? Okay, he says that he is a great king, for I am a great king, and my name is feared among the nations. Okay, so this is different than what we read in the last verse about how incense will be uh, burned in every place among the nations. He's saying my name currently is feared among the nations. Now that does not mean that the Gentiles are, are, are godly people. It means that the name of God is feared. Well, why is the name of God feared among the Gentiles? Any examples anyone can think of? Sorry? 
Yeah, they've seen it, right? And so, you know, God's name is feared among the Gentiles. Uh, how about this? Joshua 5.1. It came about when all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard how the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan before the sons of Israel until they crossed. Their hearts melted, right? And there was no spirit in them any longer because of the sons of Israel. Why were they afraid of the Lord? They witnessed what he could do, right? Okay, so they're, they're in Second Chronicles 20, another one. The dread of God was on the kingdoms of the land when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel, right? The nations feared God because God was against them. And they, and they witnessed it, okay? Now, why is God's name not feared among Israelites? I think it's because they're in God's favor. That God's always been working for them. Okay? And God is warning them that's, that's not going to be the case anymore. You know? And so, if they don't fear His name, He's going to cut them off and make them like the Gentiles who do fear His name. That's, that's the idea. And that's what we're ending with here in chapter four, or verse 14. Um, <clears throat> I got more, but that's where we should stop. So, alright. Let's, uh, let's close out We'll, be, we'll go right into chapter 2 next week and I can take my time at the beginning so we can rush through the last of it when we get to the end of chapter 2. That'll probably be how this goes for the next, next three chapters. All right, let's, uh, let's pray. <laughs>